0: Okay, who was the first tennis player in the Bible? Y'all's faces are funny. Everybody goes, hmm. Tennis. Joseph, because he served in Pharaoh's court.
1: Oh,
0: <laughs> 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 Who was the greatest babysitter mentioned in the Bible? David, because he wrought Goliath to a very deep sleep. Man, I'm like 2-0. Oh. Alright, let, let me try the, one more. Who was the greatest money man in the Bible? Solomon. G said Saul. Solomon. Solomon. No, it was Noah. He was floating his stock while everyone else was in liquidation.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a good <laughs> <laughs> Whew, I was sweating there for a moment. <laughs> so we have a lot of Scripture uh, to read today, but I definitely have some points I want to bring into um, the the story as we go. But the title, and I put it wrong on Facebook, but it's, Practical and purposeful prophetic because I think I mentioned last week or the week before uh, that You know and I was just thinking about this this morning, and I don't know if this is Holy Spirit's perspective or what But one of my pet peeves I want to know why people that are prophetic or in a prophetic office in the body of Christ have to look weird Have you all noticed that yeah. I mean yeah. it's like weird hair weird colored hair, weird clothes, even behaviors. And so I was like, Lord, I'm trying not to, you know, be judgy. But, you know, we need to be able to have access into Babylon, so to speak, where we can speak their language while at the same time bringing the power of God, bringing the word of God. And I don't know. I just think if I was a business person or a governmental leader in, you know, that doesn't know you, that I would immediately be put off. But then I started thinking, well, you got people that go to, psychics and stuff and they look even weirder but anyway i i heard a um a thought whether it's mine or his i'm not sure that said well they uh they have to live in the paradigm of rejection meaning that they cannot care what man thinks and so i don't know if that's why it's way over to this side on the level of weirdness which by the way means destiny and they feel like they have to do that, or that's just a natural response. But I thought that was interesting. But for our purposes, I think that maybe we should bring in some weirdness where we actually don't look weird if we're prophetic. You know what I mean? We need to be very practical and very purposeful. Uh, In the church, uh, prophecy has been reduced to uh, future telling and even fortune telling. Uh, it's a personal word level, which there's nothing wrong with that. I don't mind that at all. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says we should do that and practice on one another, so we have no problem with that. But if you confine prophecy just to, in a church setting, and just to personal prophecy, then it's uh, like, not baby form, but that's just one form that's not as effective. The impact doesn't go as far, right? Then you have like those that are prophetically gifted, And so they will, um, you know, be able to prophesy to people in all realms usually. They are pretty accurate. Sometimes they can have uh, some mistakes, but, and then you have the prophetic ministry where they're now operating in the prophetic all the time. Uh, And so whether it's in the marketplace, whether it's in the church, they know things and you have those that are in the office and this is where their impact can go toward uh, influencers. So now they're influencing others. Um, I think actually prophetic gifting, ministry, and office can influence influencers. Uh, But the main idea and what we're going to see in today's reading is that prophecy was used to solve problems. Prophecy was used to give direction. Uh, Prophecy was used to answer questions. And uh, and so it's very important that we take it just outside of what we've seen in charismatic circles, even, and take it to where how is it impacting the city? Okay, so we're going to start in Second Kings chapter six. Now, at this point, we've got Gehazi, who has been uh, basically—he's got—I almost said leprosized. He's been leprosized, meaning he has <laughs> leprosy and he's unclean. So more than likely, he's going to be. And uh, what's the word? He's been leprosized, therefore he's ostracized. Okay? So now um, we've got Elijah. And remember he has his uh, sons that he's uh, teaching prophecy, etc. to. And it says, Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See, the place where we dwell under your charge, it's too small. Let us go to the Jordan, and each of us get there a log, and let us make a place for us to dwell there. He said, Go. So then one of them said, Be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down the trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water. And he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and he threw it in there and he made the iron float. And he said, take it up. So he reached out his hand and he took it. Okay, first of all, wood does not cause iron to float. So you see here that he received a download of what to do. He either saw it, he heard it, he felt it, whatever it is. He receives this download and then he executes the instructions does exactly what he's supposed to do, and the axe joins with uh, the wood. Now, I'm sure there's some prophetic significance there, you know, because iron sharpens iron, <coughs> wood, Jesus was on a tree. I mean, there's so many things, you know, that we could definitely uh, go down. But I want you to see that through the prophetic, Elisha gives a very practical solution that incorporates the supernatural power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, the reason this was so important, these are students under the care of Elisha, and uh, which I think is great that they had to expand their house, you know, they're growing, they're getting more and more profits under his tutelage, but according to the law, he would have had to replace the ax head or he would have had to um, pay for the ax head. So I don't know if he, if, you know, if it was easy to go down to the local hardware store and buy an axe head. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, with the economics at the time and the wars that they were in and out of, if maybe it was, you know, scarce. Well, but it would have been quite a bit probably for this student. You know, they had the Iron Age.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that's close to where this. It time is the is. Iron
0: Age, but they had so many wars. I don't know was the iron going more but toward the people war? that
1: had the iron. Were the people that could win the battles? Yeah, and so I'm thinking that the iron was kind of a new thing, yeah, or on the scene thing that wasn't readily available because, or every all the soldiers would have had mm-hmm. iron swords, mm-hmm. and instead, you know, the, that's that's the reason that uh, Rome, I think, uh, was able to conquer because they had the availability to. To iron more than other people, mm-hmm. so I'm thinking that maybe it was because a bit scarce. it was not as uh, maybe it, I don't know that it was scarce, but maybe the uh, knowledge of how to make iron wasn't as readily available. Mm-hmm.
0: Like. Well, I think one of the things that is interesting is instead of him trying to figure out how he's going to pay for it, he immediately went to the person of God. And it's important, you know, like if we, you know, something like that happens where maybe we, you know, harmed uh, something that we borrowed or uh, something breaks and we're not quite sure, you know, how we're going to pay for it or whatever it is, uh, how about you ask Holy Spirit first? Um, Maybe go and talk to someone that has a prophetic anointing and uh, all Christians should, but some have practiced more than others. Go to someone that you trust and see what God says as far as the solution. The responsibility of the person that's giving the word is to give the word without adding anything or taking anything away, no matter how weird it sounds, right? So, but I thought it was interesting that they didn't have a plan B, obviously. They didn't have a fund to replace the ax, and so they had to get a strategy <coughs> from the Lord. Uh, I think too often we run to natural solutions and we don't necessarily give God supernatural. like my um i was telling mike this morning you know what i discovered at optical source this is just a little example at optical source they can uh i have some oakley's that i used to wear when i wore contacts well now i can't wear contacts my eyes are too dry and they itch and stuff and i found out he can do prescription lenses there and i'm all <coughs> i can just wear my oakley's so i texted the owner his name is ray and uh he gave me the price with a discount and i'm like ooh. ooh and you know to use genuine Oakley's because it can mess up the glasses and all that I was like you know that's just not where I choose to put my money right now Um, but I will in the future Uh, and maybe we can trade out or something too so be thinking about that anyways we're gonna get Mike's lenses fixed because they're non-prescription and uh, so one thing I've said for years I've got the money in fact I have probably ten times or more the money right uh, no exaggeration, <clears throat> but I don't want it to go there. I, I've got plans to go see our kids, right? So I, I was telling Mike, I've asked God to provide that outside the realm of what my the purpose of my money currently has on it, right? Why? Because he loves to give gifts. So even when you have abundance, it's neat asking him to do something that you would like him to do, uh, even though you could do it. You know what I mean? Allow him to bless you. Like, it would be irritating. And all of us have had people where you want to buy them something for Christmas or their birthday, but they have everything, and you can't think of anything to get them. And uh, I made my mother really mad one year because she wanted a Christmas list, and so I made the Christmas list. And I'm like, well, I don't want to wait till Christmas on that. It's like October. We have to start working on it, you know. I'm going to go ahead and get that. So anyway, I, I went ahead. I think it was like socks or something. And I told her, hey, I went ahead and got the socks. And she's like, don't buy another thing on your list (laughs) because I think at that point it was like two or three things later. And so, you know, that's the thing is like if you've got one of those like special desire lists, I would just see what God wants to do with that, you know what I mean? And so the point of that is to let God in your life. Let Him in your life. Be careful of always going a certain path in your decision-making process, pause and ask Him questions. And then if it's like nothing, or he says, go ahead with what you're going to do, then go ahead. Now, there's something about trees and God. Uh, In the bitter waters, in Exodus 15, 25, the instruction to heal them was to throw a tree into the water. Now, we know that trees, woods, woods, wood, and sticks all point to the curse being reversed. Okay? Because Jesus hung on a tree and became a curse for us. A curse can be simply defined as something that brings trouble. Now, we know obviously there's a supernatural aspect of cursing, but in this case the lost axe head would bring trouble for the prophet in training. Therefore, the answer was the wood to reverse the curse. Okay? Because if it was in the law, right, if the law is broken, it's now a curse. So you either have to replace the item or you have to do an offering or whatever it is. And so in this case, they were reversing the curse. Then iron. Iron represents man. And it also means repentance, forgiveness, judgment, and the word of God. So floating is freedom and carefree. Because of Jesus' work, Judgment has been diverted, and we're now free in Him. Now, I don't want to over-spiritualize it. I just thought those were some interesting things that we could take out of it because the prophetic is meant to be practical, and it's meant to be purposeful. Okay, Again, solve problems. Use your prophetic gift to solve problems. Okay, now we're in uh, 8 through uh, 12 of Chapter 6. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servant, saying, At such and such place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself more than once or twice." And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, None, my lord, a king. But Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Now, that's the level I want to have. You know what I mean? Like where we can see what's coming. We can see what the enemy is up to. Even in government. You know what I mean? Like even in government, seeing what the enemy's planning, things that are going on, um, battle strategies, media strategies, like all of those things, that's a level that's part of my dream of raising up a prophetic company. So again, we've got Elisha who carries the power of God. He operates in the supernatural power of God and he uses it to further the prosperity of his nation. And so he's basically a spy, yet he's not in the enemy's camp. He's simply seeing and hearing what the king is in, uh, saying in his bedroom. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, now, Jehoram is the one that was the king, and uh, so he has saved his life several times. I love that. Um, now, uh, the question is that if Elisha could operate on that level in the Old Testament, then how much more should we? I think one of the things that has really aggravated me probably the most and that I see has set the church back, there several things, but has set the people of God back probably decades, if not 100 plus years. Well, it's actually been hundreds of years, but the first one is where it shifted us from being an ecclesia into a church building. Uh, that's the first problem because we lost the meaning of Ecclesia. We lost that our job is to be God's government on the earth that influences the governments of the earth, right? It's all over the Old Testament. I don't know where we got the idea that we're not supposed to have influence. I mean, you got Joseph second in command of Egypt. You got Moses who uh, influenced kings. You've got uh, David, Solomon, the prophets. I mean, it's The entire Old Testament, that's all it's about, is the purpose of prophetic gifting and ministry influencing influencers. And so then it's like, and I kind of trace it down, which I'll probably be doing the prophetic uh, teachings pretty soon, or the political teachings pretty soon, but I trace it down um, to the beginning of our nation not long after that, especially uh, when it came to slavery. So... And, and so anybody that's Democrat, and you want to know why I don't mess with Democrats, here's another reason, other than killing babies. Whenever the slavery issue was occurring, obviously, in, with this nation, first under British law, then it, you know, uh, carried over into um, American, the founding fathers, some of them were slave, pro-slave, some of them weren't. <clears throat> and when they wrote the Constitution, they included in it that all men are created equal as a legal precedent, so that at some point in the future, um, we could free them. And it almost cost us a nation because the, the pro-slavery people were not going, they were like, no, not all men are created equal, right? And, uh, I mean, it was, it was a contentious time. They got it in there. So fast forward, we're now at a point where it's time. And Frederick Doug, Douglass, at the time, when he first started his ministry, he was actually a minister, he was very anti-American, because he thought, like people are trying to propagate, propagate today, that this nation was founded to, to preserve slavery. That cannot be the furthest thing from the truth. How do I know? You can read the original documents. I don't know why people make it so hard. I don't need your opinion on how this nation was formed because I can read the original documents. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's from their mouth, right? So anyway... He thought this nation was, um, you know, uh, anti-black, anti-freedom, blah, blah, until he actually started reading the Constitution (laughs) and the Declaration of Independence. And then he met uh, President Lincoln. And so he changed his mind. He realized, oh, my goodness, they saw this day coming. This is the time. We have a president that agrees. You know, I've been doing this work, the revival of was it the first awakening or second awakening, was going through the land. And so they start presenting these ideas to Congress. Well, all the Democrats were no. So if you want to know the voting history of Democrats on slavery and civil rights, it was 100% no. It was 100% no on civil rights. I mean, it was ridiculous. Giving them the right to vote was very low as far as Democrats. Out of that time frame of the... Democrats not wanting to get rid of slavery, the Republican Party was formed. And that's why Lincoln ran as a Republican, okay? Uh, and so here we have a minister having an influence on the nation, joining for- forces with Lincoln, and they both influenced one another, they both worked together. And then, through their efforts, slavery was ended. Unfortunately, we had to go to war over it, but that was probably going to happen anyway. Okay, so it's very interesting the power he had and how we've, we cannot underestimate our work. We can literally change a nation. So then, during that time, the reason I have a problem with um, us going from ecclesia to uh, church the Democrats didn't like the Christian voice. They didn't like all the Christians that were in the Republican Party. They didn't like all the Christians that were uh, born again with the Second Awakening. They didn't like them. So they still started. Don't. Yeah, they still don't. And they started making laws to silence God in government. They even tried to, in one state, they passed a law that no minister could actually be in government, and it got overturned by the Supreme Court. So that kind of began the evolution of Christians disengaging from government because Democrat preachers and ministers started teaching that Christians had no role in the government of nations. Instead, you stay in your lane, and that is equipping the saints of God. For what? To sit in a pew? You know what I mean? Like what? What? What are we going to equip them for if we've told them to sit down and shut up and then take a cracker and some blood every once in a while? You know what I mean? So that's why I get a little bit irritated about that because now we've been set back where we've got a bunch of heathen pagans running this nation thinking, some of them thinking that they're doing God's will. Y'all know that um, uh, Putin goes to church every Sunday. He He revitalized the Orthodox church. And yet he listens to psychics, and that's why he's in war with Ukraine.
1: I, uh, on the way down here, I was listening to Mario Morella, mm-hmm. And he, was given, he gave the example, and I didn't catch where it was at, but there was two churches, a smaller one and then a big body, Like a mega church. Yeah, mega, well, type church. But this is back in the early, um, long time mm-hmm. ago. <laughs> I don't know, nearly a long time ago. That was on the, in the long time ago. <laughs> Back in the day. But right. there, the smaller church was doing deliverances, setting people mm. free from uh, you know, demonic influences. And the bigger church comes to them and said, You don't need to be doing that. You're taking authority that you don't have, basically. And, mm. you, and so they forced the smaller church to send these people to the bigger church. And then the bigger church says, We don't feel like we are the ones that ought to be doing this. And that's where the first asylums were formed well, who the heck for be mentally like ill. Wow. I thought that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. So instead of, because he was saying that we're coming to a time because all of our problems are spiritual problems, mm-hmm. and that the churches are going to have to step and instead of giving away that authority like they already did, they're going to have to take it back and deal with it. That's things. why I
0: said Thursday. Now, okay, first of all, I mean just the inside of me, you know, being a D personality is a little aggravated. How did that big church uh, church force that small one to do anything? I don't know if that knows me. I'd be like, what? <laughs> you know what? I mean like that
1: would have instantly what were you gonna do? You know? You know, I don't know if it was a kind of a branch like or a I don't know what it was, but it was a small church that was doing the deliverance. The the, mm-hmm. And then the bigger church comes in there with uh, their expertise, I'll put it that way. Well, one of the shrewdest tactics of the enemy
0: was to tame the the church. We were never supposed to be tamed. We were supposed to offend. We were supposed to put people against each other, actually, because that's what Jesus said. I have not come to bring peace. I've come to bring judgment. And brother will be against brother, and father against son, and all of that stuff, because there's no room to tame the lion. And, and so it's like, yes, we don't want to be obnoxious. I get that. But we're not going to compromise truth ever, ever. So when you have this situation where we've been so civilized, like President Trump when he got a bunch of Christians in uh, his office when he was, I don't know if he'd gotten a primary yet or not. And he said, why don't y'all have a backbone? He was confused. He's like, y'all are the strongest part of the population of this country, and I can't figure out why y'all don't do anything. So then one of them said, well, it's the Johnson Amendment, which was never for churches, by the way. Uh, and he's like, what's that? Like, he had no idea. So they explained to him the Johnson Amendment. He's like, well, we need to get rid of that. And that's why he did that to loosen it, right? But it's like, okay, if a piece of paper can stop you from saying the truth, then how in the H-E-double hockey sticks are you going to face someone saying that you have to deny the Lord in order to preserve your life. I, I mean, I'm just, you know, you can't talk about homosexuality or anything like that. Watch me. Well, you know, it's that kind of stuff, that if you if a piece of paper or a government order stops you from preaching truth, then I don't know, you're going to be the first one to take the mark. So we need to toughen up here, and we need to understand that there will be a cost to following him that will increase if we don't do something in this nation.
1: But I was interesting, because I listened to the same thing, on the, that story
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I thought what what was telling was that when he said we need to get rid of it and they said where well, there should have been a standing ovation cheers there was dead silence mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that these pastors that he's talking to that
0: they, they didn't know, want to yeah. have
1: to have backbone they didn't want to have to stand up mm-hmm. they didn't want they wanted an excuse to sit down and be quiet mm-hmm.
0: People often do. They want an excuse out of what's uncomfortable.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, I was even thinking, you know, like, I, this was very freeing when I heard this from Dr. Um, Christian R. You know, he's talking about, he got asked the question, you know, are doctors in hospitals like, you know, should a Christian go to those? He said, well, I'm not going to really answer that que- question like that. But what I will say is it depends on the, the believer's faith level. If they have absolute faith that they're healed, they're fine. They don't need to go. But if they're of the faith that, you know, I think I probably should get checked out, then go. Because it could kill them. You know, if they don't have faith that they're healed already, and they don't go to the doctor, they may end up in the grave. He said, so there's levels of faith in all areas. And God, in his mercy and kindness, gave us the profession of doctors, you know, and different things. But even that can be taken to the extreme, because like I was telling the lady that does my facials, which by the way, she's fabulous, um, that it's like an idol. It's the first thing people go to are doctors and medicine. And so there's both sides, right? There's a tension, there's always a tension when it comes to truth. Well, I mean, it's the uh, same thing for mental health. You know, We're looking at getting a, a mental health facility here in Clovis, because too many people are, you know, there's nowhere to go. And I'm all for it. But then I started thinking, well, wait a minute. I mean, we should be solving that problem as well as the church, right? As the Ecclesia, we should be solving that problem where if people need that and they want to go to that, absolutely. But until then, we shouldn't abdicate our responsibility to people that don't know God. That's what we're doing. We're abdicating these things to people that don't know him, and it's got us in a big mess. I'm going to step down from my soapbox. I was gonna, I, I'll have to send you that what on. I was listening to because
1: it's right I would there. love
0: to hear it. Oh, I'd, I'd love to hear it. it. Now, we know the man of God. I mean, it obviously tells us it's Elisha because, you know, Gazi was leprosized. Um, here in uh, 6.13. So let's continue. So he's able to hear what uh, the enemy is saying. Verse 13, it says, uh, Go and see where he is. This is the Syrian king. Go, Go find him. That may send and seize him. It was told, Behold, he's in Dothan." So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master. I always feel like Shakespeare when I say that. What shall we do? Now, let's hold up for a second. I thought the man of God heard what the army was up to. Why was this kept from him? Why didn't he hear this one? It's kind of like when y'all were doing my spiritual intelligence report for me, and then later dreams like, I didn't even know. And I'm like, good, because it's awfully hard to do stuff around prophetic people. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so that's kind of the situation. God didn't tell him the army was coming this time. Isn't that interesting? So then Elisha is like, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Okay, now this, I just want to, real quick, um, it looks like Elisha is in trouble. If we examine the fact that God did not tell him that the Syrian army was coming to surround him, then the only conclusion we can come to is that God wanted the Syrian army to surround him. Why? For the servant. Now, there's a bigger story we're going to get to, but the servant needed to see the supernatural. What if what you perceive, and this is important, as a trial in your life is actually no thing for you, And it's supposed to be a testimony to someone watching. Now, isn't that an interesting thought? What if what you're going through is not because you did something wrong or you're being attacked or blah, 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 where we always go to me, me, me. But what if what you're going through is actually nothing to do with you and it is to be a testimony of God's goodness to those closest to you and, as we'll see, the entire Syrian army. Too many times when we're going through difficulties, we immediately, oh, I must have done something wrong, or oh, it must have been this, or oh, God must have allowed this to teach me something, or blah, or I'm under attack. I hate that. I hate when people say I'm under attack because we're, we're seated on the throne. You cannot get much higher than the throne, right? And the enemy is no longer allowed in heaven. So it means at all times, the enemy is under our feet. <laughs> it's, it's just a positional reality. I feel I wish I wasn't sitting. I want to get up. <laughs> so we've got this situation where Elisha's like, you know what, Lord, open his eyes so he can see. And it was for him. But there was more to it. Okay. So when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed, the Lord said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. So then Elisha goes to them, and he says, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. So he led them to Samaria. Now this is hilarious. So you think, Oh, he's going to take them to a certain death. Well, as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, Behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As <laughs> just, the whole picture's hilarious. I mean, you have an entire army that's blind, and this one guy, probably dressed in camel's hair that eats bugs, is gu- guiding them straight to the feet of the king, right? And I bet the king's like, I don't, what's going on here, you know, because the whole thing's just strange. I'd be like, first of all, could you please answer the question, why I can't see? You know what I mean? Like, I would want to know that. I'm a C. I'd be asking all kinds of questions. What's your name? Where are you taking us? Blah, blah. So the king, you know, he sees them, and he said, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And he said, No, don't strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you've taken captive with your sword and with your, your bow? Go ahead and feed them. Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink, and then go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast, and when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Now later, we're gonna see this act of kindness was not returned and it kind of caused problems because he could have literally probably wiped out the nation of Syria right there, but it would have been unjust. You don't attack defenseless people like children and women in theaters and hospitals and maternity wars and things like that. That's a, a demonic evil uh, situation. And so they obviously couldn't do that. But this thing cracks me up. That's why you see the LOL, LOL in the notes. I mean, the, the whole thing would be so surreal and uh, just weird. Now, this is a tw- twist. So instead of killing them, they throw a party for them.
1: I think it's funny, too, that he refers to him as my father. And all of a sudden, he went from yeah, mm-hmm. that guy mm-hmm. the pain in my rear, which mm-hmm. is pretty much what he had previously mm-hmm. referred to him as mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. dead gum. A, yeah, a true politician.
0: Yeah, true politician. My father.
1: Yeah. My father.
0: <laughs> yeah, all of a
1: sudden now we're getting a
0: little respect. <laughs> so he throws a party. Now this right here is the principle of Proverbs twenty five, twenty one through twenty two, which I'm gonna to read to you. And then Romans twelve, nineteen through twenty one so in proverbs it says if your enemy is hungry give him bread to eat if he is thirsty give him water to drink for you will heat burning coals on his head and the lord will reward you now i i, I do not have an influence to go to ukraine but i will say this if the ukrainian people keep feeding the russian soldiers and giving them water when they're thirsty and giving them flowers of peace. That flower is very important, if y'all saw my post on that. If they keep doing that, it's going to turn this war, because they don't want to fight anyway. They'll be tricked by the rally that Putin held. They don't want to be there. Now, they do have a mindset that we need to understand that is not the Western mindset. However, um, there's a story of a grandmother uh, with a, the, and I, it might have been a Ukrainian story when they first tried to destroy the Ukrainians because Ukrainians have been here uh, are before, like people say they're a new nation. No, they're not. Um, when Lenin, Stalin, all of them doing their nonsense, um, they decimated the Ukrainian country uh, and their their prosperity by destroying their sunflower seeds. I think Gigi mentioned this too, um, destroying their sunflower seed crops. That's that's how they were prosperous. And uh, so anyway, during I think it was that time frame, um, the Russians were there. And they consider each other family. And a grandmother, they were telling her to stop, and she said, "No Russian will kill a mother of Russia, a mother of Ukraine." And uh, and they let her go through. So there's a there's a type of an honor code when it comes to their own that if they will he if they will kindness. Now, the president, he needs to execute justice, but he also needs witty ideas. He needs witty inventions. But I can guarantee you this war, and I, I'm not big on blaming America, but Calamity Kamala, mm-hmm. that goes over there and talks about them being part of NATO, is why they are in a war now. Okay? So you can just, there's a book, um, Putin's Hidden Agenda, uh, that I've been reading. It's fascinating. And all the illegal money, Biden, Hunter, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. even the New York slimes finally. Um, Committed that Ukraine. it. Yeah, it's like, and oh, the how convenient. Help right. Okay, now uh, this was wisdom to treat the army this way. And then in uh, Romans 12 19 through 21, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, if we look at, and it's in I believe it's in the very next chapter or in the same one, in Romans. Yeah, it's in the next chapter, 13. Uh, here's the balance uh, to this, because that was the very last verse where it says, Vengeance is mine. You know, leave the wrath to God. Well, in Romans 13, 1, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. When he says those that exist, he's referring to the institutions. It doesn't necessarily mean the leader is designed by God, because uh, I can guarantee you Hitler wasn't his will. Stalin wasn't his will. The office that was there was his will. The leader, not necessarily. Unless there's a judgment upon a nation. But then it says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur uh, judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear for the one who is in authority, then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So governments exist to execute God's wrath on the wrongdoer, and in Jesus' name, Ukraine will be able to do that. But so all of that is to say there is a place for wrath. Government authorities are supposed to execute judgment on wrongdoers until their justice system gets uh, corrupt, and then they end up doing it to good people. Now, in Romans 2, 4, it says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing, and here's the key, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Okay, so that's what the purpose of feeding your enemy, etc., is to get them to repent, which means to change their mind. So by them doing that to the Syrian army, where they could have wiped them out in a genocide, instead they heap kindness on them and they change their mind and quit raiding them. Okay, all right, so the kindness of the Lord uh, referred to here, and sorry that Lord's not capitalized, is, quote, the grace which pervades the whole nature Mellowing all which would have been harsh and austere. Okay, so people that are kind, their nature has been mellowed. Uh, some people are naturally kind. I was not. Uh, so hopefully I'm better. Uh, I've had to mellow a lot. Um, so all that also has to be coupled with the fact that a biblical example, which y'all have heard me say repeatedly, of kindness is also the Lord driving them out with a whip, okay? So it doesn't mean kindness is a pushover. It doesn't mean kindness doesn't confront. It just means that if it does have to execute wrath, it will always be looking for ways to bring kindness into the situation. So you may have to fight a war, but you will also be looking for ways to bring peace as well. So repentance is the end game of that type of kindness, it's also, I thought it was interesting, it's useful and benevolent. So if you're a naturally kind person, you have to ask yourself, is the kindness I'm about to demonstrate helpful to this person? Because if it's not, you're now enabling. Does that make sense? So you've got to make sure that you're not just being kind because that's who you are, or for kindness sake, you've got to make sure it's useful. Now, the word leads, where it leads you to repentance, means to direct or guide the movement of an object, which Elisha literally did. So this is a literal picture of him doing that. So <laughs> it's just crazy. And sure enough, they repented. Okay, so let's fast forward. We've got, you know, a cessation of them attacking, but now they're starting to get antsy again. Syria is, and they're going to cause problems. Now, is going to be that prophet, again, like uh, Kathy was pointing out. He's no longer my father, my father. Afterward, Benadad, king of Syria, mustered mustered his entire army. Oh, that's funny. You have the word muster, And went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, as they besieged it, until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Now, as the king of Israel is passing by the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the fresh fleshing threshing floor or from the wine press. And the king said, What is your trouble? And she said, This woman said to me, Give you give your son that we may eat him today, and we'll eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him, and on the next day I said Give your son that we may eat him, but she has hidden son, And when the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked. And behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. And he said, May God do so to me and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. So the act of kindness was forgotten. And the same army that could have been decimated is now, like the people of God are paying for their kindness in an extreme manner of being willing to eat their own children. This is incredible. Uh, And so sometimes you will see that happen. You will be kind to someone who doesn't deserve it. You cannot go in, in there thinking and believing that they will always return it or think they owe you that because it's pretty much a guarantee that unless their repentance is long-term and they're born again, they're going to go back to the way they were in the first place. Okay? So just don't be surprised if that happens, and then ask Holy Spirit what to do next. Uh, So he blames Elisha because they threw them a party instead of the sword. And, uh, you know, they're probably like, well, where's the reward? Mm -hmm. Is our reward this? Our mothers are eating their children. Is that our reward? Okay, so yeah, I'm sure you can or, understand
1: the pain. Either that or he didn't tell him how to avoid it, or he didn't... There's no telling. You know, he didn't uh, get them ready
0: Or they refused to listen.
1: Or, you know, yeah. I mean, well, he has been this the hero, so therefore he's got to be the zero now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so Elisha, in verse 32, was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence, but before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, do you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came down to him and said, this trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So that was kind of a weird deal. Um, The Amplified says that the king sent a man to behead Elisha, and the king was following close behind. And so Elisha said, See how this son of Jezebel, a murderer, is sending to remove my head. And so he instructs the leaders to uh, lock the door. Uh, and then verse 33 that we finish with in the uh, Amplified says, While Elisha was talking, behold, the messenger came to him, and then the king also. And the relenting king said, This evil is from the Lord. Why should I any longer wait? expecting him to withdraw his punishment. What, Elisha, can be done now? Okay, so that last sentence, it was kind of weird, this trouble is from the Lord, why shall I wait on the Lord any longer? Is from the king. Okay, now um, we're going to go on into verse 7, uh, and we're almost done. And y'all can uh, read, I might summarize that long passage of scripture, I'm not sure yet, but let's read verses 1 through 2. But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a sea of flour will be uh, sold for a shekel, and two of bar- uh, barley for a shekel, and the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, If the Lord himself shall make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he's, you'll see it with your own eyes, but you're not going to eat of it. So the king is in such a weakened state that he has to hold on to the captain. I mean, he's so hungry that he can't stand up on his own. You know what, I do want to read this because this is hilarious. Okay, so first of all, because the captain didn't believe the word of Elisha because he saw with his eyes, therefore he could not hear with his ears, then he would not be able to partake of the miracle. Okay, this is a war over sound. Remember, we've talked about that. All right, now there were four men who were lepers, leprosized, at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, so we're going to die there. But if we sit here, we die also. So now come. Let us go to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we're going to die. But we're going to die anyway, basically, is what they're saying. Now, I'm sure they know Syrians are not going to want four lepers. So they're basically going to be ending it short. You or know. maybe
1: they're going to, we might as well contaminate them.
0: Could it be. I don't know. So they got up to go at twilight to the camp of the Syrians, probably so maybe could hide a little bit of the leprosy, I don't know. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, no one was there. <laughs> this is so funny. So it says, For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses, the sound of a great army. So they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. So when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank. And then they carried off silver and gold and clothing, and they went and they hit them. Then they came back and they entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. And they said to one another, "Ah, we're not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we're silent and wait till the morning light, punishment will for sure overtake us. So self-preservation, of course. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came, and they called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians. and behold, no one to be seen or heard there gate uh, at uh, nothing but the horses tied the donkeys tied the tents so the gatekeepers called out and it was told of the king's household the king rose in the night and said to his servants I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us they know that we're hungry therefore they've gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open city and one of the servants said well let some men take five of the remaining horses that's all they have seeing that those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel have already perished let us at least go and check it out So they went after them as far as the Jordan, and behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the uh, Syrians had thrown away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. So the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a sea of fine uh, flour was sold for a shekel and two of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the war. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gate, so that he died, as the man of God had said when the king came to him. For when the man of God said, Two seeds of barley will be sold for a shekel, and a seed of flour for a shekel about this time tomorrow, the captain said, If the Lord himself should make windows of heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, Well, you're going to see it with your eyes, but you're not going to eat of it. And so it happened, for the people uh, trampled him at the gate, and he died. This is hilarious. God is a sea personality. He will dot every I and cross every T. He's like, all right, I'm going to send a sound. I'm going to send a sound. I'm going to run off the army, and I'm going to fulfill the word of the Lord exactly like Elisha said. Elisha had to know God's voice to get that word. It's very scary to get a very specific word, right, with not only that, a time frame. And a lot of people don't have the courage to do it. But Elisha did because he knew God's voice. The more you know him as a person and his voice, the more comfortable you can get. But it's still nerve-wracking. Well, I think it's interesting that,
1: okay, they fed him, which I think probably that army looked at that as a weakness. Probably oh, that mentality, barbaric, they're hoping mm-hmm. we wouldn't come back. Mm-hmm. So this time when they come in, it says he mustered his entire army. Mm-hmm. So if God's going to destroy some of them, he ain't going to destroy one little troop. Right. He's going to wait, and they're going to all bring the entire army.
0: Yep. And then
1: we're going to deal with
0: it. His business now. <laughs> and, we're gonna deal with it. and I love now. He, I don't want y'all to miss this. Four lepers. Mm-hmm. Okay, the most despised, right. unclean, you know, ostracized, and God uses four lepers to save a nation. Now, I want you to think about that the next time you think you're insignificant. Mm-hmm. Do you have leprosy? No. Right? This is unbelievable. He, I mean, God is hilarious. He chooses four lepers. Well,
1: you think about that. He always seems to choose... There's Rahab, the uh, prostitute. Idaho, right? You know. Yep. He he brought her. You know, and he elevated her. Yeah.
0: And she's uh, in the lineage of the there's Lord. There's going to be
1: a baby that's going to come and save the nations. Yeah. And that, you know we know that Jesus, but it's always in a way that it challenges us to look at things different. Yes. And here it is, the because he's already pronounced judgment on lepers. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the things. Don't be quite so, you know, open your mind up and look at them in a different way.
0: And yourself. And yourself. You need to look at yourself in a different way.
1: Um, because it's interesting. Because I think after this, that the lepers were elevated and the king was dead. Right. Right.
0: Well, the king didn't die, his captain died. Well,
1: the, but what, you know, the things that were up are now down. Yeah. And the thing, the lepers who had been looked on and despised and, you know, And, and I think they, and they almost remind
0: us of rain. surfer dudes. Yeah. Hey man, like, so we're going to die anyway, you know. Might as well hit that wave one more time. You know, like, that's like, we don't have to lose. We might as well just go down and see what's happening. I mean, it's hilarious. Like, even by accident, you will stumble into God's will. You know, it's not that hard. And so, listen to this. This is in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. You cannot get much lower in that time than being a leper. And here the captain, the strong man, you know, who obviously is still strong because the king's leaning on him, he got trampled. It is so funny. Okay. Um, Verse 7. I want to look at this again. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army. So they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. This is human reasoning at its finest. Okay? The Syrians reasoned that Israel must have hired mercenaries. The word sound is, quote, a voice, a sound, a noise, a cry, any kind of sound. It was used to describe God's voice in Eden as well as musical instruments, animal sounds, etc. But another example of the war of sound, where God's sound... Is victory for us? It's the sound of doom for our enemies. They fled. The lepers start collecting the beauty, or uh, booty, and then they felt bad and had to, you know, get the king. But then the king didn't even believe it either, right? So he had to send out someone to make sure it was true. But human reasoning will cost us, and uh, it's really important again to uh, win the battle over the war of sound and asking God his perspective. Don't get into all that reasoning stuff. Just, if God said it, that's it. I've got an obstacle. Okay, Lord, what is your strategy, right, to get through this obstacle, around it, under it, it doesn't matter. Um, but reasoning is what caused them to lose the war. What was that scripture,
1: First
0: Corinthians? Uh, 2. Let me get it again. I can't remember where it starts. 1, Twenty-six to
1: thirty-one.
0: Thank you. All right. Any other thoughts? Wow. Well, we got through two chapters. Just five hundred more to go. <laughs> All right. Father, we thank you so much for the Word of God, that the Word of God trumps all human reasoning, and that we have to recognize the sound of the Lord. So we ask, Father, that you help us tune our ears, our eyes, our understanding, our heart, to hear your sound. Where others may hear the sound of doom, we will hear the sound of the Lord. We'll hear the sound of victory because Jesus Christ's victory resonates to this day. And we want to be the sound for that, not the sound of defeat, depression, and all the other things that we seem to fall into at times. And so Father, help us to be a very clear sound. No mixture, uh, no um, character flaws that might dim the sound of your voice. We want to be a very clear clarion call to the ecclesia, to the body of Christ, to reform, and like the prophetic word delivered this morning, muster those who are present. And so, Father, I ask that you help us to do that, to take prophecy to the practical and the useful. Prophecy is a tool of kindness, Lord, and I ask that you help us to use it in very practical and helpful ways to solve problems. So, Father, this morning... We want to give you our tithes and offerings. And we ask you, Jesus, to receive them as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We give willingly. We don't have any compulsion. There's no manipulation. There's no shouldas. There's no need tos. We do it with joy and happily because we know our giving of 10% is loyalty and a declaration to all the demonic realm and the angelic realm that we are loyal to you and to you alone and give us wisdom in distributing the resources you've given us. We thank you so much for that and for your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.